All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is August 3rd, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Mindel Adams, who is in Lynnhurst, Ohio, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was born in uh, uh, Bath County, Virginia, on July 1st, 1938. Oh, okay. And what were your parents' names? My father's name was Earl Adams. No middle initial or name. My mother's name was Martha Marguerite Godsey. And she, uh, her mother didn't know how to spell Marguerite, so she wrote Margaret on her school papers, so mother went by Margaret M. Adams. Oh, okay. Interesting. All alive. <laughs> and where was your family from before Indiana? Well, uh, uh, my, uh, my great-grandparents were from Pendleton County, Kentucky. Okay. And Following the uh, Civil War and the, uh, you know, right around the time of the First World War, they began to uh, move into Indiana. Oh, okay, interesting. And what were your parents' occupations? My father was a uh, tool and dye maker, and... uh, and my mother was, uh, as she called it, a, a household engineer. Okay, cool. All right. Did you have any siblings? Yes. I have a, um, a uh, older brother, and, uh, which is Jim. I have an older sister named Marlene. And I have a younger sister named uh, Frederica. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. And how would you describe your childhood? I had a good childhood. I was raised primarily in a rural area around Boston, Indiana, uh, and then later over in the... Uh, Fairview section of uh, of Richmond, and uh, I, I had a good a good childhood. Yeah. Okay. Who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Aside from my parents, yeah. Uh, uh, probably my uh, mother's parents. Okay. What understanding, if any, did you have about your family's political beliefs as a child? Oh, well, that was an interesting situation. Uh, both my uh, grandparents on both sides were Democrats. Okay. Uh, and uh, when my, but my father, uh, during the uh, first 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt changed from being a Democrat to being a Republican. Oh, wow. And so that caused some interesting things because my mother was a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat and dad was a, a, a turncoat Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what I remember. That's interesting. So did you ever hear your parents, like, debating politics? Oh, uh, mother didn't debate too many times. She would often say, however, I canceled out your vote. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. It, it, an interesting thing happened. My father, during my uh, high school years, dad had a tool-and-die shop in a uh, uh, Richmond area, in a little area called Happy Hollow, which was uh, uh, very poor... Uh, uh, white folk and black folk that lived in this uh, community uh, on uh, Bridge Avenue. It was called Bridge because they had a uh, covered bridge in the in the heart of Richmond, yeah. right down along the river. And uh, Dad had built this little shop down there, and then he got some jobs with the Department of Defense, and. The only telephone that was available down in Happy Hollow was a eight-party line. Wow. And Dad said, I need to have a private phone. And they said, we can't have a private phone down there because we don't have the lines. Well, Dad had discovered that the, uh, the general telephone was the telephone company there and that the city owned the... Um, electric company and the city had the poles for the electric company poles down there but dad found out somehow or other that the telephone company had been putting their uh, wires up on the city's telephone poles and not paying anything for it so dad said all right i'm going to run for city council and when i get there you're going to have to pay rent on all the times that you use the city's poles mm. so guess what they put in a private line for my dad the same day that he filed for state council he didn't <laughs> win but he got their attention now what was interesting about that is that when he announced to the family uh, in the evening meal that he had filed for the Republican primary for city council. His own mother, who lived with us, says, uh, Earl, honey, I'm sorry, I can't vote for you. Uh, you're in the wrong party. Mm, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I take that pretty seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Jeez. What schools did you attend growing up? Uh, I attended, uh, we moved around a lot. Uh, I attended uh, kindergarten at the old East Haven uh, school. Uh, and, uh, and then we lived on Northwest 17th Street then. Dad had, bought, had built a new home there. Uh, then... Uh, we moved from there to the Star, uh, star no, 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 not Star. We moved there to, um, yeah, it was a Star School, 
uh, elementary school. So I went there for the uh, uh, first, second, and third grade. Then we moved to Boston, Indiana. And I went there through the sixth grade. Then we moved back to the Fairview area. And I went to Dennis Junior High School. And then I went to, well, I graduated from Richmond uh, High School. However, uh, during the, uh, what was it, the freshman, sophomore, and junior year of high school, the folks sent me to a uh, fundamentalist Christian school in Frankfort, Indiana. Hmm, Okay. So how would you describe your educational experiences then? I was, uh, I was up to a point that I was very disappointed in my high school at that fundamental school. And I announced to my parents that if they made me go back for the fourth year, I would run away from home. Mm. And, uh, so they let me come back and graduate with my class at Richmond. I felt that my education at Richmond was very good. I felt that my education at the uh, Frankfurt was very poor. Okay. And uh, uh, but it did uh, uh, prod me into being a uh, vociferous reader. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what I did, I I resisted the kind of what I would term now right-wing uh, kinds of stuff that I was getting from uh, from the people there at the school. Okay. I resisted that and I kind of went down a rabbit hole of studying uh, uh, more um, appropriate kinds of <laughs> reading sure. to, to get me out of that trap. So Yeah, okay. So, did you have any favorite subjects in schools? History. History, okay. Uh, yeah. Were you involved in any extracurricular activities? Uh, 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 no, not, not through the school, no. Okay. I, I did some, uh, I'm trying to reflect back. I did, I did, uh, I did join a uh, debate Team. Okay. I did some debate. All right. Interesting. Um, so as a child, what were your views of the state of Indiana or about being an Indiana resident? Oh, uh, some of my fondest uh, memories are, it seems kind of silly now, but would be when if we would go traveling somewhere and we'd come back or whenever we'd come to drive into the state we'd always start singing back home again in indiana so there's some, <laughs> <laughs> so that that was kind of a um almost a, almost a nationalism kind of thing yeah yeah sure where did you attend college I started out uh, uh, after after marriage. Uh, I uh, I started out going to that Bible school there at that uh, at Frankfurt. Okay. 
and and went there for a year, and uh, and then uh, three years later, I started uh, going to what was then called uh, Marion College, which in Marion, Indiana, is now Indiana Wesleyan University, mm-hmm. and I I uh, graduated from there in sixty seven. Oh, okay. And uh, what was your major? I had three majors. I had history, uh, philosophy, and religion. Oh, okay. Very interesting. And you mentioned you mentioned that you had already been married before you went to college. Yes. Okay. So how old were you then? You must have been fairly young, I guess. I was. Um, uh, I'm trying to think back here. <laughs> yes, I I had my my family very young. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was in 1960 when I no it was 1963 when I uh, went back to. Uh, college. And now I just I consider the work that I did at Marion to actually be my college experience. I don't consider the Bible school much of an academic thing, and I was I was very young then, but I was uh, uh, in nineteen sixty three. I would have been about twenty five then, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And so after you graduated from college, what did you hope to do? I was in the ministry. Okay. And I went on to seminary uh, just directly out of uh, out of college in the seminary. Oh, okay. And uh, so how did you view your college experiences overall? Uh, life-saving. Life-saving, okay. Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, it opened up, uh, it opened up the world to me and uh, helped me, it, it, it affirmed that I had a brain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I guess it just kind of... Uh, Made you feel like you could do more than maybe you thought before or something? Yes. In uh, what ways did your awareness of politics change as you went into college and then graduated from college? Mm-hmm. Well, I was under the influence of my father, who was a very strong person. When it came to politics, I was very much under his influence. Until I, uh, until I got, um, well, I'm trying to think here. Until the, uh, until John Kennedy came on board, and during the, during the John Kennedy campaign, I was uh, uh, caught up in the. Uh, 
Republican nonsense, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, okay. and so forth, uh, against uh, Kennedy primarily because he's Catholic. Yeah. And, and then even before the president was shot, I uh, came around to realize that he was uh, uh, speaking more to what I believed to be appropriate. And, uh, and so I, I became a Democrat during that uh, administration. Uh, and it was, uh, it really came into the fore during the Goldwater and uh, uh, LBJ thing. Because I, I read Goldwater's, uh, uh, well, they, they claimed it was his book. It was written by Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, on the conscience of a conservative, I read that book to find out what they believed, and and it taught me very definitely I'm not a conservative. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair and enough. there was no turning back. <laughs> so, um, did your political development kind of clash then with your dad at some point? Very definitely so. Yes. Okay. And how did that affect that, your that relationship? lasted for years and years and years and years. Yeah. How did that affect your relationship with him? Uh, it strained it very, very much so. Okay, sure. However, uh, we died. He died in good grace. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it did, it did not... Uh, it did not poison our relationship to the point where we were, where we were no longer had affection for one another. Right. Yeah. I, I honor my father's memory and realized he was a flawed human being, as we all are. Sure. Okay. So thinking about, I'm, I'm just glad that he wasn't alive to know anything about Donald Trump. Okay. That, <laughs> oh God, have mercy. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, thinking about your time in the seminary, um, so yeah. what were your career aspirations from that point? I was just preparing for the ministry. Okay, so that that was just your your plan then. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and so, how when did I graduate? I graduated from the seminary. I got my master's in uh, 69. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. And that was a Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis. Got it. Okay. And so you were already married. Uh, how many kids did you end up having? Four. Four. Okay. Got it. And um, how much did your family affect your career would you say oh my my family you mean my children affect yeah. my career yeah your children your wife yeah well bless their hearts uh they uh they paid a price <laughs> yeah for daddy's obsession uh my wife uh, uh naomi ruth Mm-hmm. Was uh, uh, had she lived three more days, we would have been married fifty-seven years. Oh, okay. 
so we grew up together. Yeah. And she was very, a very, very strong feminist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and headed up the uh, Equal Rights Amendment campaign in Indiana. Oh, wow. Okay. She, she worked with um, uh, Alan Alden, Betty Ford, were the two people that, that had kind of, that she worked with that helped her put that campaign together, which was the last campaign to be successful for the ERA. Right. Uh, that time around, I, I say that, and I'm hoping that that uh, the Supreme Court will rule that that those states that ratified recently can be counted. I'm not sure I can count on the Supreme Court to do that, though. Yeah. Um, but but Ruth uh, definitely uh, helped me to uh, to understand uh, a broader understanding of. Uh, of politics and uh, in particular on women's issues. Yeah, okay, that's cool. All right. And so, how did you become more seriously involved in politics in the first place? Well, uh, I had, uh, upon, upon graduation from seminary, my wife's parents became. Uh, he had uh, all uh, not Alzheimer's. He had uh, Parkinson's disease. Yeah, and they became dependent upon me. So I had four kids, and uh, and four adults, and my salary by that time had gone up all to the exorbitant amount of six thousand eight hundred dollars a year oh my god and and so i had to find secular work in order to support my family so i went into the insurance business okay yeah <laughs> and as part of it, in the insurance business in uh, indianapolis um uh, on the day of the kent state killings on that very day, yeah, I got a phone call from a clergy friend of mine in back in Marion, Indiana, at the Methodist Church, the First Methodist Church, and he asked me to come on staff at the First Methodist Church in a part-time position as a minister with youth. Mm, okay. That's the way they named it, lay minister with youth. So I was able to have my insurance office. And uh, and still work with the kids. Well, that was during the time of the uh, uh, Vietnam War resistance. Uh, that was, you know, there was just a whole bunch of stuff going on. Civil rights, uh, women's rights, uh, start of environmental uh, Earth Day kinds of stuff. And so uh, I, I was just like a hog in slop. I really enjoyed that. And uh, so we moved back to Marion, and my wife and I ran the insurance uh, uh, agency, a little agency we had that kept bread and butter on the table. And uh, we uh, got involved in that. And then uh, there was an opening for city council uh, to uh, fill out the uh, uh, slate of, of uh candidates for a Democratic Party, and they couldn't find anybody that was full enough 
to run in this sacrifice area where we happen to live. And so the county chair had two of us young guys that were into this uh, uh, anti-Vietnam War kind of struggle. Yeah. And he was talking to one of us of running for that seat that was a Republican stronghold. And we actually flipped a coin to see who would run. Mm. And I lost. Okay. But Andy, when he went home and told his wife that uh, he had won and therefore he was going to run, she said she would divorce him if he did. (laughs) So he didn't run, and he told me, and I went right down to the courthouse and filed before anyone changed their mind. And so I ran for city council. I did not win. But by that time, I had the bug really bad. Okay. And so that was in 1970. And so uh, 1972 rolled around, and uh, my wife convinced me that I should run for uh, state legislature so I could vote for the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm, okay. And so that's what I did. And I did not win. That 72 was a bad year for Democrats in Indiana. Almost every year is a bad year for Democrats in Indiana, but yeah. 72 much more so. And, uh, and so I was uh, asked by the McGovern campaign to be kind of a surrogate for him. And I, went around and gave speeches. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> well, you couldn't be there. I ran around in our area and gave speeches for the McGovern campaign. And uh, uh, I, I did not win that one, but come, by the time that Watergate came to fruition, the Republicans stayed home, and so I was able to get elected in 74. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the person that I owe my political career in the state legislature is Richard Milhouse Nixon. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've heard that, yeah, several times now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That that seems like it was that era which was, it was kind of like the glory days for Democrats in Indiana. Because, oh, it was a heady time. It yeah. really was. <laughs> and I was on the uh, uh, Ways and Means Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the, um, the Health and Labor Committee. Uh, they started a new committee on the uh, aging, and I was on that. Matter of fact, I chaired that uh that committee yeah and uh so you know there were a lot of exciting things that were happening i say i learned more in my two years in the state legislature than i did in all my years in graduate school yeah yeah and since then i i've had uh, uh i've had the pleasure i took uh, uh classes in uh, uh business uh, uh, in uh, at Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I took some classes up there, and I took classes at the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, I took some classes there as well. So, so I, <laughs> when I say more than all my 
work in graduate school. I really mean that. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I got my I got my doctorate from uh, a seminary in uh, in Indianapolis called the Temple. Oh, okay. It's not in uh, Indianapolis. It's in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Got it. So, uh, what did your campaign emphasize when you were running? My winning campaign. Yes. Okay. Uh, I took on the, uh, the, the, that was during the time of the Ford uh, administration's um, uh, recession. Okay. And so it, it meant that there were all kinds of economic issues yeah. That had to do with, um, uh, and then the, the management and labor kind of thing were were pretty uh, pretty sharply drawn there in Marion with the uh, Fisher Body Plant, the uh, uh, RCA plant. Uh, so you had the IBEW and you had the UAW. And I, and I worked very closely with them and formed a coalition of, um, of uh, several of those groups uh, and uh, had them to, uh, uh, I formed a labor committee. And so it was primarily labor and uh, the women's rights groups that, uh, that pushed my campaign. Um, and so I aligned myself with the progress, what we call now the progressive side of, mm-hmm. of those issues. Oh, okay, interesting. And did you have any national political heroes at the time? Or state? Oh, uh, Bobby Kennedy. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I can't stand his son now, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Bobby Kennedy was a was a hero. Uh, to a lesser degree, I think Gene uh, uh, McCarthy. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, it was more difficult for me to to identify with him. Mm. Uh, uh, um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. McGovern, loved McGovern. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, felt very strongly, you know, in support of that. And do you remember who your main opponent was? Um, my opponent for the 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 legislative seat that I saw was the 25th district. That was a odd. It was a two-member district. There were two legislators from the same district there. Yeah. And that, that was a, very peculiar. And the two people that, that served in there prior to, to my winning was Mac Love and Janice Crimmins. Okay. And and Mac was a farmer from around um, Fairmount, Indiana. And Janice was, I don't know what her uh, 
what her role was. Uh, uh, her father had been uh, a mover and shaker in the uh, Republican circles and had um, uh, she had worked as an intern for a United States congressman and I'm trying to think who it was I think it was, his name was Murphy and she had served at, uh, on his staff in Washington D.C. before coming back and running mm, okay. but she had she had publicly said she, when she was questioned about why she had voted against the Equal Rights Amendment, she had said because her father told her to. Oh, wow. Well, you can imagine how the women felt about that. Yeah, I'm sure that, that wasn't popular, yeah. <laughs> so so it was, uh, that was an easy picking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyhow, those, those were the two and uh, and uh, Mike Bosball and I uh, were both candidates for the 25th district. Oh, okay. Although Mike and I didn't get along very well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and then, yeah. And then I had I ran after serving two years in the house. I was uh, easily convinced that I should run for the Senate. Okay. And part of that is because I talked to Birch by and Birch had wanted me to run for Congress, and we decided that it was not a good idea for me to go just from the House of Representatives to a congressional thing, that I should go for the Senate first, and then that would give me two bites of the apple before I had to run again. And so I ran for the Senate. And so the person that I ran against there was uh, uh, Roger Jessup. Mm, okay. Who, who, who was in the uh, Senate seat. And Roger was a, uh, a teacher. Oh. Uh, a junior high school teacher. But he had alienated himself from the teachers' union because even though he was a teacher, he voted against teachers' rights. And so I exploited that as much as I could. Yeah. Uh, okay. But he beat me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Damn uh, <laughs> It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, when you were first elected for the Indiana General Assembly, you know, on that election day that you found out that you had won, how did you feel? Overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a thing in my, uh, in my journal that I just read a couple months ago, in which it basically was saying, okay, I worked so hard to get here, now, now what? <laughs> yeah. Now what do I do? Yeah. I hardly knew you know, do my way around. I didn't know my way around at the state house. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. So I was overwhelmed. What were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day in office? Oh, I thought that's what you meant. Uh, that's what oh, <laughs> well, either way, 
<laughs> the, the, yeah. yeah. That's when I felt overwhelmed. Same response, probably, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, what were your expectations for the legislative process? Were they kind of what you expected, or? Yes. Yes. I, I was, uh, uh, I was very impressed. I was impressed with the way, of course, at, yeah, at that time, we were all part-time legislators. You yeah. Know? Uh, and, uh, but I was impressed with the um, uh, intensity of uh, of the persons that had run for office, and you know that they had some sense of why they were there and what and what they were about. Okay. And I was yeah. uh, and I was impressed on both on both those that I agreed with politically and those I did not agree with politically on that standpoint. Interesting. I okay. Felt I felt that most of them, most of them were honorable people that were, that were there, out of a sense of patriotism. Yeah, <clears throat> that's good. Okay, was there a bit of a learning curve for you when you're trying to learn the ins and outs of state politics? There was a sense in which uh, you know I was only there for two years, so. Yeah. Probably, if I'd have been there twenty years, uh, you know, it'd be different. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a fast learner, and I was fortunate. I was able to get some kids, some college kids, to come in and help me with doing just some of the nitpicking the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. I to get, you know, they came in and volunteered to got some college credits in order to work with me and and uh, that worked out well as a matter of fact i had uh, not too long ago on facebook uh, a young lady that had been uh, uh, an aide for me is now uh, retired from having uh, taught at bloomington at the iu <laughs> and she wrote me a thing thanking me for helping her to uh, uh, get her feet wet on the uh, on the political thing. So yeah. Wow. Okay. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, and that was uh, uh, Mary. Uh, see, uh, Mary Ann Carter. Mm, okay. So, when you were in the General Assembly, did you have any sort of political mentors there that were kind of helping you out, or? Dick Bodine was a was a good help to me okay. to help me to understand things, um, and uh, I, I think I think he he was probably the the best for doing that. Yeah. How did you communicate with your constituents? We we published a newsletter. Oh, okay. That works. We put out a newsletter called. Plain speaking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of breaking down everything going on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I held, uh, uh, that was a very compact uh, district. And so I held, uh, uh, during the sessions, I would hold weekly meetings, uh, uh, town hall kinds of format at the uh, public library and invite the press and the people to come in and you know all 
no holds barred, and you know we could uh, discuss things together. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Do you remember the first bill that you sponsored? Yeah, I don't remember that. Okay, that's. <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, there was one bill in particular that uh, that I helped to derail. And I, when you and I were talking initially, I guess I told you there were some things that I was proud of, and some things I'm not so proud of. And yeah. one thing that I'm not so proud of that I that I reflect on now is um, I told you about the recession and how that it hit the Grant County area in particular. At one point in time, we had, they, they told me the statistics, I don't, they seem outrageous now, but they said that there were like 20 to 25% unemployment. Oh, wow. And so I mean, that hit, bang. Okay, it was it was like a depression there. Yeah, yikes! And one of the the big uh, employers in the area uh, was the glass bottle industry, uh, and and one of the unions was the glass bottle blowers. And there was a bill that had come out by the Isaac Walton League and others to try to do away with glass bottles by placing a tax on them. Hmm. And so uh, the union came to me and asked me to to take that fight on. And so even though I'm a a well-qualified liberal Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) and an environmentalist in many ways, uh, yet because of the situation, I was sold on the idea that that this would really hurt uh, my constituents, you know, who were employed in the glass bottle industry. So I took it on, mm, okay, and and was successful in derailing that legislation. And the Chamber of Commerce and the and the uh, uh, CIO glass bottle blowers uh, were on one side, and the uh, uh, UAW and environmentalists were on the other side. And I cast my lot with the glass bottle blowers, mm, okay. and so. So uh, I justified that based upon that. Now, as I reflect back on that, I look at it and say, well, there probably could have been some compromises that could have been made on that and so forth. Sure. But I, I was not sophisticated enough to know how to do that. And I was just kind of, they kind of dragged me along as the, as the token liberal mm. that would join with him on that. So I look back on that and I have real mixed emotions, but there were some good things that, you know, that I, I was one of five people that voted to abolish the death penalty in oh. Indiana. Okay. Yeah. And, and I have, uh, since that time, I just recently resigned from the board of directors of Ohio's to stop executions and, as my role of a pastor, have uh, been mentor to people on death row, and 
and uh, went into as a as a witness to two men that were executed, and so that's been a passion for my life. My my daughter, my my youngest child, is a, is a lawyer who has worked for the last twenty five years in the whole area of representing people on appeals for capital punishment. Oh wow! Okay, interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. That deal. I say, well, okay, I started in 1975. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel really good about that. And I, and I, uh, uh, the, the whole thing was anybody come to me and say, Mendel, can you uh, uh, help us on a bill? I, I tended to look at it and then if there was any way I could join with them on it, I did. One of the things we did also was uh, we rewrote the uh, the bill have, or the law that had to do with uh, um, I want to say that like like the punishment of children in school, like doing away with uh, spanking and and so forth. And we we did the uh, the new legislation on uh, child abuse. Oh, okay. And the, the time before that. That it had been uh, that anybody had looked at it was in 1905 or 1906. So while I was there, we rewrote that legislation, and I was very instrumental in helping to get that done, and and we got it done. Oh, okay, so interesting. I'm yeah. so good about that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I got a I got a, a letter from the. Uh, bishop of the Methodist Church. Now I'm, I'm Methodist, right? Yeah. At that time, I'm not now, but I was then. And uh, so I got a letter uh, telling me he wanted me to come out and vote against paramutual gambling. And so I wrote him a letter back, and I said I don't find anywhere in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount or in the Decalogue that says anything about gambling, but I do see some things that have to do about uh, uh, protecting children and the widows and the orphans. And I think you ought to throw the weight of your uh, influence on us when we're trying to uh, upgrade the child abuse legislation. By golly, he came and testified on our behalf. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Yes. That's cool. Uh, uh, so, anyhow, that was kind of uh, I enjoyed that. So there were there were a few things like that happened that I can look back on, take some pride in. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, the work that I did in the uh, with the uh, aging, we we passed the uh, bills that were to set up the Council on Aging um, and, and all, all those things that went on to do Meals on Wheels and all that kind of stuff. We worked with the, uh, 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 the AARP and NARFI and a couple other groups like that to, to get those things going, and I, I worked on that. Yeah, okay. I, there was one other bill here too that uh, I'm, I'm wandering. I'm sorry. No, I'm no, this is good. Kinda, it's that's great. One yeah. Other, one other bill that that 
caused a great deal of consternation uh, to me and I spent a lot of work on was the bill to uh, set up a, a system for uh, malpractice medical insurance for the state of Indiana. Oh, okay. And, and uh, during that time, our governor was an MD, uh, uh, oldest uh, 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 shoot, Bowen, oldest Bowen, right, MD, and uh, and so the the uh, the American Medical Association had kind of chosen. Indiana to be the one that they were going to work on doing away with the ability to people to sue their doctors for malpractice. Mm -hmm. And so they came in with, you know, the dog and pony shows from all over the United States to push that through. And it had to come through the committee that I was on, which was the labor and um, economics. And uh, uh, so I was a chair of that, but I was on the committee. And they pretty well had everybody on the committee lined up, both Republican and Democrat, to push that through. And I dug my heels in and said no. And, oh, Lordy, have mercy. (laughs) 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 So we went round and round and round and round and round on that one. And it was a, it was, I think the number was House Bill 1040, which I thought was kind of interesting, that, like the tax form. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so that went through several things, and I held a hearing at Ball State Medical School and uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, we we tried to tone it down. We we changed it a lot. It, it, initially, it was just kind of to give the doctors exemption from uh, being sued for medical malpractice, and and uh, the uh, UAW at that time was very much in support of the position that I took, and uh, but the AFL CIO was not. And uh, and of course the Chamber of Comics they were they were not uh, so it was an interesting situation. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, it sounds like you were involved with lots of different pieces of legislation and, and different uh, sort of political yeah. debates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I dug my heels in. Yeah. Also, also was appointed to by the. Uh, Speaker of the House, I was appointed to the initial uh, Waste Management Commission for the state of Indiana. Hmm, okay. Which was for us to do away with the open dumps uh. and put in place a series of, uh, of uh, I forget what they call them now, anyhow, waste management things where they buried the dump, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and and I tied it in with uh, the whole environmental stuff that that I was interested in. So thinking about uh, some of the interactions 
in the General Assembly during your time. Um, how, what was the relationship like between Democrats and Republicans? In the legislature? Yes. Uh, there were, there definitely was a difference between where the, the two parties stood on, on some basic issues, but you didn't find the kind of, um, toxic kinds of stuff that, that I've observed since then. Uh, I don't know how to express that. I mean, we we had difference of opinion, for instance, about the Equal Rights Amendment, yeah. about the environment, about uh, uh, workers' compensation, about, uh, you know, there, there were just so many of those things. We had those, but, uh, and, and they could get to heated debates about the issues, but I did not find uh, that kind of... Uh, mutual destruction attitude amongst the folks. Now, there there were a few that did. I, I remember, oh, this is a fun thing. Sure. I remember a bill came before us that uh, had to do with uh, saying that public toilets had to have so many stalls that were free that you didn't have to pay for them. Okay. And the, the deal was that the women were pointing out that... Uh, that in the men's room, you had the stalls for the urinals, but for the women, if they had just the stalls that locked up, then that wasn't fair to them. And so that, that was a, there was a push for us to go to having so many, there was a bill, I forget what the bill number was, and so forth, or who even promoted it, but there was a bill that said that so many of the Toilet stalls had to, you had to have a balance. So many had to be free and for, you could have some that you had to pay for, but so many had to be free. Okay. Well, the Ku Klux Klan decided that they were against this. And so they published a paper and they handed it out to the members of the legislature. The, uh, and, uh, it talked about this and it called it creeping socialism. <laughs> and I had this vision in my mind. Now, now, this comes on my desk as I'm preparing for the session. Yeah. And there's this flyer that comes from the Ku Klux Klan, which right away caught my eye. Yeah, of course. That said, that was talking about creeping the socialism. And I had in my mind's eye this person that didn't have money to pay for the stall that was down on all fours sneaking underneath the stall <laughs> creeping socialist. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. And I started laughing. And I laughed and I laughed till I was almost in tears. And finally the speaker sent a page down and said, ask Representative Adams what in the world he's laughing about. Oh my gosh. I I wrote out a note to send it up to the speaker. Well, then he started laughing too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. They, so they just funny, you know, yeah. fun stuff like that. And of course, the Klan was uh, the Klan was also uh, against anything on sickle cell anemia. There was a there was a bill for us to put some funds through the medical school for 
research into sickle cell anemia. Yeah. They, they were against it because they saw it as a way to kill off black people. Right. I mean, really. And so, yeah. you know, they say, oh, God. So there was that kind of crazy stuff that was done. And the Birch Society hated me with the Purple Passion. Okay. And that was all right because they understood that I was their enemy. And that's true. I was. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, that was fair game. But uh, I didn't see, I didn't see that kind of rancor that I saw that I've observed now. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, it kind of sounds like that just today it's it's a bit more aggressive um, and personal kind of almost. Yeah. It, it may have to do with the professionalization of the, of the political person, you know, because we were yeah. all... We were all uh, part-time uh, politicians, and we, right. we had other other ways of making our living and so forth, and and uh, and it was not uh, our total income. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, the KKK a couple of times, trying to get involved with legislation. Were were they, you know, commonly popping up? When it comes to like oh, yeah. tra- trying to uh, affect oh, yeah. legislation during your time, yes. In uh, in my district, uh, they prided themselves. They they went around to all the bars and told the uh, uh, the barkeepers that I was a religious fanatic uh, because I seminary graduate. That I was a religious fanatic and I was going to close all the bars. Oh my gosh! And then they passed the rumor at the uh, uh, barbershops that uh, I was uh, uh, that I was a uh, communist and that I was uh, an atheist and that I was going to close all the churches. Wow, okay. And so I told him that they were right on both counts and I was a, an atheist that was going to close down the bars. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's so silly. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, wow. But yeah, there was a significant part of the Democratic Party in Grant County, Indiana, that was controlled by the Ku Klux Klan, and so I had to take on the party establishment to get the nomination. Wow, that's that's really crazy. And then in the Republican Party, there. The significant part of the Republican Party in Grant County was controlled by the John Birch Society. Okay. So it gives you some idea of what was yeah. what was going on. And I almost ran as an independent. I didn't. Yeah. But uh, but it, it was it had, I had I could not count on the uh, uh, on the party establishment to support my candidacy. I had to I had to put it all together myself. Yeah. Which which I did. Wow. Um, I even wheedled out a, a letter from uh, uh, George Meany of the AFL-CIO uh, endorsing me personally for the legislature because the local AFL-CIO would not. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Jeez. 
Yeah, it sounds like a pretty pretty wild time. Yeah, it was a very wild time. Yes, it was. Yeah, I was fortunate. Um, it was, as the Chinese say, uh, I lived in most interesting of times. Yeah. Okay. So, what differences were there between the House and Senate? Oh, uh, the the Senate. When I was there, the Senate was uh, the majority. The Senate were Republicans. Okay. But the majority in the House were Democrats. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, uh, employee uh, favorable legislation that passed in the House but died in the Senate. Mm, okay, yeah, makes sense. There was another interesting little tidbit here that, that you might have some interest in. That was during the time of the uh, in the Ford administration where they had the uh, block grants and they had a program called CETA. Okay. Uh, and Title Ten. Yeah. And and there were there were significant blocks of money that were given directly to local uh, uh, local projects that didn't have to go through the normal bureaucracy, but they, they could go directly to them. And uh, Doc Bowen sent one of his people to me, uh, that's Otis Bowen, the governor, sent one of his persons to me and said that uh, he would like to be able to spend some money for the winterization program. That's hmm. when they were going to go in and put up VizQueen and the, and the, cover the windows in these shacks, I mean literally shacks, yeah. and and put uh, insulation in their ceilings and that kind of stuff. And uh, they were going to do that uh, for the poor. And he wanted to put some money into it, but the people in the Senate were absolutely against doing anything like that. They didn't want to accept any of that federal money. That was all tainted money. Yeah. And so... Uh, Bowen's person, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I think it was, I think it was Don Martin. Okay. It was on his staff. And uh, uh, he made a clandestine uh, visit to me <laughs> one evening and said that the governor would like to do something, but he couldn't do it because his hands were tied. And so we concocted this plan where I would carry enabling legislation through the House, mm -hmm. and I would ask for like, I don't know, $5 million. Okay. The governor wanted to give $2 million. And so I would, I would push that through the House and just raise so much hell on that 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 the governor would tell the people in the Senate that he had to do something to shut this Adams character up. <laughs> and so that's what we did. Wow. And I met together with the caucus. Uh, the speaker let me, the speaker was not aware of that, of that arrangement. I met together with the caucus 
and convince the caucus that what we should do and that even if they were against us spending the money that the Republicans would never let it pass and so they could be on both sides of the issue, you see. And so because of that, we were able to drag some of the more conservative Democrats in on the vote and we passed it to the House and sent it over to the Senate and then they compromised it down and said we've got to do something and the governor says you know you got to do something to those crazy people over there in the house they're beating me up on this and so <laughs> they, they passed it by and the only thing I did was in my county there was a there was a cost for them to do this in my county in Grant County uh, they had had a previously had to have a small smaller block grant that was for something and they put it through the county commissioners which were three republicans and they hired uh, uh, one of the commissioner's wives they hired her to run the program and siphoned off all the money to pay her salary and so forth so they didn't have any money to do what they were supposed to do with it so I said the only way that that uh, I would approve this would be if they would see to it that in my county the money that came through that block grant would go to this uh, Southern Christian Leaderships Conference. Okay. Which was black ministers. Yeah. And by golly, they, they bought it. And they did it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so we got the money to winterize homes in our county. <laughs> Jeez, that's and interesting. It was, okay. It was run by Booker T. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor of the Missionary Baptist Church. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I was able to use a little bit of leverage to do that. Uh, yes. Really felt good about it. But I couldn't... I, uh, I've never told that in any kind of official thing, uh, but it, it was like, it was a clandestine kind of a thing, Say, okay, how can we make it so that we'll break the logjam so we'll get some of the money to be used for this? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I was game for it because I like to raise hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, I mean, that really does shed light, though, on just the complexity of, of getting, you know, legislation done. Yes. That, that's why when I look at what uh, uh, Joe Biden is doing now, right now, mm -hmm. I can say, well, you got to give him a break, you know. I, mean, I don't see how they're going to pull this off, but if they do, it is marvelous. It yeah. really shows some, some statescraft. And, and I have a deep appreciation for people who, are, who know how to do those things. Yeah. Well, I guess just that's... Because I had just a little bit, just a taste of it. Yeah. Not enough to be adept at it, but... Yeah. Well, I suppose that's that kind of highlights one of the big misconceptions about uh, government and, and passing laws, that a lot of the public, I guess, kind of gets the impression that you could just do it instantly. Um, yeah. But... Uh, and it's like, you know, it's like the old expression, they say it's like making sausage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, 
so uh, and I, as I said before, I, I I think I learned more in that two years than I did in all my graduate work. Yeah, no, I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> and I went on. Uh, I went on. You haven't said anything about that. I don't have an answer to that. But I went on. I had fifty years in the pulpit, mm-hmm. and I was uh, uh, ecumenical campus chaplain at Oklahoma State University, and. That was a marvelous, marvelous time. I had 50 different religious groups that I had responsibility for for keeping them talking to one another <laughs> uh, uh, on campus. And, uh, you know, I, and, and then after I retired from the ministry, I taught in the African-American seminary in Cincinnati. And uh, I just had a ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good time. Been a good life. Um, let's see. So, did you have a pretty good idea of how people were going to vote before they actually voted when you were serving the General Assembly? Yes, generally so, yes. Okay. Yeah, there, there were always surprises. Yeah. There were always people that, that jumped on one side or the other side that, that shocked you one way or the other. Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose it's you know hard to gauge everyone. <laughs> There's a lot of people there. Yeah. Yeah. How influential was party leadership, would you say, in sort of dictating what legislation would get passed? These... Speaker had awesome power. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so there were just a f- very few times that anything got past Phil Bainbridge that he didn't have uh, that he didn't have some kind of control of. Yeah. Okay. There were a couple times when we blasted a a uh, bill out of committee or something over his protest, but. Uh, not often. Yeah. Okay. One of those had to do with uh, rural electrification. Mm. There were there, there the REMC. What is it? REMCA uh, had some legislation there, and uh, that was a time when uh, Indiana, Michigan uh, Electric Company was all embroiled in. And something, what they were doing there makes a, uh, it, it just, they were pikers compared to what uh, uh, First Energy did here in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at that time, it, it was, you know, something that really caused concerns. And uh, rural electrification was trying to be a bulwark against the kinds of encroachments that uh, Indiana, Michigan was doing. Yeah, okay, sure. Do you remember... And I think Wynn Moses, I don't know if you've run across that name yet, Wynn Moses was the guy that was the, the person that caused great difficulty to Indiana, Michigan. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I got involved in that only because the, uh, uh, one of the uh, commissioners from the uh, 
public, whatever it was called, the one that had oversight of the of the uh, utility companies, had let his guard down in my presence and and told us something about what was going on, and and I told Witt. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah, I had to testify. Okay. Affidavit on that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember specific incidents where you uh, were working with uh, some Republicans on important pieces of legislation? Yes. Yes. A guy by the name of uh, Lampert, uh, I forget his first name, who was a, a, a member of the House from... Uh, one of the districts there in Indianapolis is Republican, and he had a bill for uh, uh, including um, aging or, or age uh, for senior citizens on civil rights. Okay. So it had to do with employment. On uh, on the person could not be. Uh, discriminated against because of their age for employment purposes. Uh, and uh, uh, that was uh, one of the times when I went uh, on as a co-sponsor with him on this legislation. Yeah. And I primarily did that because of my work with the, with the Committee on Aging. And I felt like that it was consistent with... Uh, uh, you know, with with what the rest of my portfolio was, and he asked me to sign on as a uh, co-sponsor, which I did. Well, I was the only Democrat that signed on to that. Oh, okay. And so the uh, guy's name, a guy from up around the uh, uh, Chicago area, in one of those. Uh, that was the head of the AFL-CIO, called me at home and told me that I had to come off of that bill. Mm. And the smart-ass guy that I was, I argued with him <laughs> and told him that I thought it was a civil rights issue and that I could no more... Uh, not uh, sponsor that, then they could sponsor something that said you could discriminate against people because they were black. Wow. And his argument was, if they want that kind of protection, they need to make it in their uh, in their contract. Yeah. And I said, well, everybody's doesn't have a contract. Right, right. You know, everybody's not a member of the union, and this is something that needs to be not just for union people, but needs to be for anybody. Well, he and I did not see eye to eye. He ended up with, I think I paid the price. For yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, that happened. It, but it had to do with, uh, uh, yeah, Lambert, I, I forgot about him. Uh, he was a, a real honorable fellow. And uh, the what was curious was that... Uh, when he'd gone for that, because the uh, Chamber of Comics, uh, they were uh, they were against his legislation, so they probably gave him the same kind of grief that the AFL 
CIO guy gave me uh, sure. that nobody should tell them what to do, you know? Right, yeah. So, yeah, but that, that was one in particular. And then the one for the for the CEDA things, that had to do with... <laughs> <laughs> that became partisan, but it was, it was a sham. Yeah. It was really not partisan. <laughs> yeah, I understand, yeah. Um, let's see. I think you have some kind of big picture questions now. Um, what would you say the public doesn't know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Uh, when I was there, there was always a confusion between the General Assembly and Congress. Okay, yeah. And so you had people like a, a little Bircher woman from uh, Marion, Indiana, that kept wanting to talk with me about uh, uh, about the uh, gold standard, for instance. Okay. And I say, well, we don't have anything to do with the gold standard. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, trying to explain that. Yeah. It, so there were there were people that that generally don't have any idea what's going on. Yeah. They don't have any idea what on how their lives are uh, affected by what happens there at the General Assembly. Yeah. And uh, uh, and they tend to think in terms of, of Congress they may have a better idea of, of of it but but not not the General Assembly. And uh so I think that's it, and, and I, I think that uh, they tend to think that we're all lawyers. And of course, I wasn't a lawyer; I was a theologian. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, theologian that couldn't make a living being a theologian, so I did something <laughs> else. <laughs> oh yeah. What about? Um, what would you say the role of lobbying was when you were serving in the General Assembly? I saw the lobbyists that I that I depended on to help me to understand things. Yeah, were like uh, the UAW was very good. Okay, uh, and I did not find they didn't twist my arm to make me vote on something a certain way. The same way with the uh, Indiana State Teachers Association. Um, they, they were excellent in helping you to pick through and understand what the issues were and, and to deal with that. Um, yeah. There also was uh, NARFI, the National Association of Federal Employees, uh, they were good on senior citizen stuff. And uh, uh, I found that the uh, Chamber of Commerce and the AFL CIO tended to be rather heavy handed. And they, were, they, they tended to, instead of educating you, tended to 
say this is where we are we expect you to support us you know that kind of oh, thing okay. no, not not try to educate you on that um, I lean very very heavily on the uh, legislative bureau oh okay uh, very heavily on them because I could count on them to give me a nonpartisan understanding of what was what was you know Happening, yeah. What was at stake? Yeah. So, like, the legislative services then, I guess, was pretty useful for you yeah. then, yeah. So, and then, so the, it sounds like then that there were kind of, like, two sets of lobbyists, some that were trying to just provide you with information while others were trying to, I guess, get you to sign up for a cause. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. What would you say was the most controversial issue during your time in the assembly? Hmm. The most controversial was that whole uh, malpractice. Okay. Deal. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Because the issues were so high. And you had uh, insurance companies weighing in on that, and you had the hospitals weighing in on it, and the AMA were really weighed in on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I understand. The, uh, I'm trying to think of defense lawyers, no, not the defense lawyers, uh, I forget which one, but one of the bar, the bar, Association, they they weighed in on it as too because they saw it as uh, as an affront to uh, you know to what they believed should be protected. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. What, in your opinion, would you say is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Say again, please. What, in your opinion, would you say is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Worth? Work. Oh, that worked. Yeah, or like, what's the, what's the role of the Indiana General Assembly to you? Like, what's their purpose? What? What's the purpose what? of the Indiana General Assembly? <laughs> well, I think it is to... Uh, to try to uh, work within the parameters of what the state constitution and the federal constitution, of which we're pledged uh, daily to uphold, or what those parameters will allow you to do in order to weigh the interest um, and come up with uh, workable solutions to issues that, that come up you summarize your time overall as a state legislator? I, I look back on it with a, a very positive feeling. All right. Uh, and and uh, I feel like it was honorable work. 
and I feel like that I I learned a lot uh, about the how legislation is done or how it's not done. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, and I think I learned a lot about kind of human nature and how how people work together. Yeah, I suppose you'd get lots of experience dealing with different people in different situations. So Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I really enjoyed doing was just listening to the debate that was going on in the various areas of the state have various, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, their language... Uh, the way they pronounce words and so forth was so different. And you get people from around uh, uh, Boone, uh, the, the Boone town, the Boone County area, uh, and the people from up around the Chicago area. And they talked in, they were, they spoke so differently from yeah. one another. And, and I found that just delightful. Yeah, I'm sure that is interesting. And I, I had some, uh, I, I had a, an aid that was uh, paid for by the uh, by the uh, caucus. Uh, I don't know if you run into him or not. Uh, Grant Monahan. Have you run into him? Uh, no, I haven't. He, the last I heard from him, he was uh, lobbyist for the. Uh, uh, the Indiana Manuf uh, Retail Merchants Association. Interesting. But he, but he was my aide in the legislature. That he had about five of us that he worked with. Okay. And uh, I, I had contact with him on Facebook not too long ago. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, that's cool. That's always nice to keep in touch. Yeah. Um. What lessons did you learn from your time in the General Assembly? I learned to uh, I learned to try to understand what motivates people to take particular stands yeah. and how, how it is that that you know that you find out what what really is going on and why they're why they're acting out the way they are yeah and it, it gave me some insights into uh, into that and how it is that we can lock ourselves into positions that um, we may or we may not be wholehearted on Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, based on your experiences, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Um, I, would give, I, I would think that it would be worthwhile to find a a mentor that has some integrity and that you could rely on to 
test out ideas and and uh, to be there to advise you on how to pick through the system. Yeah. Okay. How would you say the state of Indiana has changed over the course of your lifetime? I think it's taken an abrupt uh, jerk to the right. Okay. And I, I, I am uh, <clears throat> ashamed uh, many times uh, uh, to, when I tell people I served in Indiana's legislature and then I see them doing such stupid things as the uh, anti-gay kind of legislation that Mike Pence was involved in and all that kind of stuff. It just causes me to... Uh, be very concerned, very shamed. Yeah, so I guess the Indiana General Assembly then appears like it's gone much further uh, towards yes. the conservative side of things. Yeah, there's a difference between conservative and reactionary. Okay. And uh, conservatives, um, you know, legitimately uh, can look at things and say, well, we want things as they were at a given point in time and it's based it's based upon certain principles but uh, you don't find them trying to um, be hurtful to other people going out of the way they may do things that hurt people but they don't go out of the way with that in mind yeah okay and what I observed particularly from Indiana's legislature is that they've just gone overboard mm -hmm. in uh, that kind of vindictive um, attitude. And I, I, I have great uh, remorse about that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, last couple here. What qualities do you think that uh, Indiana residents still have or hold dear? What qualities yeah. do I think that Indiana residents hold dear? Well, yeah, and still have, perhaps, that have, like, continued... And not having lived in Indiana for a number of years, mm -hmm. it's a little difficult for me to tell. I can only tell from the standpoint of my family yeah, okay. that is still there. And I have children, I have grandchildren, I have great-grandchildren, I have nieces and nephews and sister that are still Hoosiers. Yeah. And uh, and I see in them a kind of, they definitely still have a sense of family, mm -hmm. uh, a sense of, uh, of uh, caring for one another, a kind of um, um, ease with uh, nature. Okay. Where, where I don't, I, I see some as being 
very strong environmentalists and so forth. Most not, but most that would be more like what we used to call in the day conservationists that they had to do with, you know, keep, you want to, you want to keep the, the stream uh, clear so that the uh, fish can thrive in it because you enjoy fishing. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and it has to do with a, a, a love of, of, of that kind of thing. Not so much of looking at it from the standpoint of a macro sense of uh, what does it mean for the kinds of stuff we're doing to the environment or, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, global warming or any of that kind of stuff. Not, not so much doctrinaire in that, but more of a sense of just enjoying uh, the woods and enjoying the farming and enjoying nature. Yeah. And, and enjoying being with the family. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, uh, and that sense of uh, um, not so much of, of fighting to become multi-millionaires, but rather have a comfortable living and, and uh, being able to take care of business. Yeah. All right. Um, last question here. What do you want the people of Indiana to know about their role when it comes to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Oh, my God. (laughs) Be constantly uh, on the alert. Yeah. Um, You know, that that our uh, constitutional rights, both under the state constitution and the federal constitution, are... can be very easily lost mm-hmm. unless we take them seriously and take uh, what it means to be uh, we, we used to have we had uh, I, I don't know if you've run across him I'm trying to think Kermit Burris have you run across him? Um, I've heard his name mentioned several times I haven't actually talked to him okay Kermit was the uh, was the uh, minority leader in the house when I was there, so he was the guy that was in charge of all the Republicans. Yeah, and I think he's from, if I'm not mistaken, around Logansport. I believe that's where it was from. Okay, but Kermit used to keep saying something about that he uh, was there at the behest of the sovereign people of Indiana. <laughs> it was, it's not like the dingbats have talked about, I'm a sovereign citizen. It had to do with really understanding that, that, that what we do in the final analysis, the bosses are the people that, that this affects. Yeah. And that, and that the sovereignty does not, flow from the top down but from the bottom up right and and uh, Kermit used to wax eloquently 
about the sovereign people of Indiana that had placed us there to do the business for the state. And he, he was just right on target. Really right. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that I think that that is true in every state and it's true nationally. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's all the questions I have for you. Is there one of the things that I didn't tell you is yeah. that I've gone on and got my doctorate in the, uh, in theology. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and so congratulations. And so I've gone I've gone well beyond what I what I started out with uh, with that little fundamental school in Indiana. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Published a few books and so forth. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah, you're yeah. keeping busy yeah. there. <laughs> so, anyway, I thank you very much. I appreciate Ben. I appreciate you uh, taking time to do this, and I think it would be kind of an exciting thing. I, I would be anxious to know how many of my colleagues are still kicking around. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy. You too. Bye. Bye.